Proverbs, you look there at the passage where the carpenter read earlier. Proverbs chapter 2, chapter 2, chapter 23. You got something different. I had the first number, left the other off. Proverbs chapter 23. And uh, I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of biblical truths regarding our minds. Biblical truths regarding our minds. Should I turn that on? Speaking of minds. Proverbs 23, verses 6 and 7. Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, neither desire thou his dainty meats. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. Part of the verses there say, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now, while I'm teaching and preaching to you this morning, I'm going to give you several Bible references, passages, that I'm not going to turn us to. I'm going to turn us to some also, but I'm going to give you several that I don't. Let me encourage you to be prepared to write some of those down and look them up later. A good thing to do, maybe write them on the back of your prayer uh, request card. And that will help you when you're praying. Then you can look at these because you'll want to look and see what the Lord has to, uh, has to show you in His Word because the great battle going on is for our minds today. It really is. And there's a lot of distraction in the way of thinking and the way we think. The Scripture, part of it says, for as he thinketh in his heart. These two verses are warning about being allured or taken in by someone's provision. That's what it says there about his bread. Someone saying, I'll take care of you. Someone saying, just come along with me and I'll cover you. Be careful. Or luxuries. That's the dainty meats. Here's how this will be luxurious for you. Um, and it warns us about someone who, what we call being two-faced or uh, who is evil in their doings. It's interesting. This man in Proverbs that's pulling this fellow to come with him and he's being warned against somebody to pull and, and he's trying to get him to come his direction and uh, he's basically asking him to make himself at home or says what's mine is yours what the verses say eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye neither desire thou his dainty meats for as he thinketh in his heart so is he eat and drink saith he to thee but his heart is not with thee in other words the fellow's putting out an invitation inviting you with the bread Here's, here, I'm going to just take care of you. The dainty meats, here's a luxury with it. But, it's not with you. His heart's not with you the whole time with it. Um, the issue is, that regardless of how he appears, what he's offering, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. A man's mind, which is what I talked about, thinketh in his heart, is the ultimate battleground for good and evil. What influences the mind affects the soul. We believe that we'll be careful what we allow to affect our mind. And so I'm going to be dealing with some of these verses I told you about and showing you some things with it. But the purpose of opening the Word of God, why do we come together like this? Why do we have a church service? Have good singing, good special, good offertory, good, good playing? Why do we take time to come together? The, the, a lot of different reasons that are given biblically 
But the thing that drives it, the engine that drives the whole thing, is that the Word of God is opened and explained. It's preached. It's taught. A lot of different ways in which it's presented, but it's the Word of God. That's the main thing. That's the catalyst for everything else. Uh, our singing, and why singing is so vital, is to get our hearts ready so we can accept the Word of God. It's, it has a cleansing effect. Not just listening to it, but participating in it. It reinforces your faith. It teaches and admonishes. That's what good singing does. That's what good songs do. And then when we come together and we, we sing about God and we think about things, we hear some prayer requests, we, we think about what God's doing, our mind goes from all the distractions of the week and all the things that may have cluttered and even, and even uh, uh, some things which may have corrupted your mind during the week. And you, your mind can be open for the Word of God so God can do something with you. And then we're supposed to take the Word of God what we learn with it, we're supposed to take it and then use it. Not just set on it. Not just say, oh, I know that. I, I'm, I'm kind of a trivia junkie, I guess you could call me. You have a little something that has trivia on it. And, and you know, historical trivia, interesting facts about things. I've, I'm always looking at it. I, 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 I look at those things. I'm always looking for usable quotations. I like quotations not just to use in preaching. Uh, but I like quotations because they motivate me in life. Um, and I, I like to get things, and there's a lot of things I could rattle off. I just finished reading about some little unusual, uh, uh, unusual um, um, subject matter and gave me more information than I wanted to know. This one came from that little tidbits paper. Have anybody ever seen those around when they're free? I'll get those and read through them. I found out the perfume industry, $51 billion a year. That's goofy. Nobody smells that good. That's stuff in there over $2,000 an ounce. I'm like, you got to be nuts. You have to be nuts to pay something for something like that. Good night. But I didn't make $34 billion, $31 billion in America in a year. Why? <laughs> you soap, folks. You'll be all right. Um, but crazy. Just, but you know what? I didn't change my life. I can put all the trivia I want in my mind. I can think. Sometimes it's interesting. And since I speak, sometimes I have something interesting to put out because of it or know something. Occasionally, I use it. Honestly, um, I used a bit of trivia I knew about something yesterday for a man I was witnessing to. It just opened the door up for talking. So I guess some of it has an interesting thing. But, you know, you're not to approach the Bible, and I'm not to approach the Bible as a trivia. Oh, I learned, you know, something in Sunday school as uh, Brother Andrew led off about, you know, Esau. You know, uh, going with that. Oh, okay, oh, that's interesting. I put that away in my mind. Oh, I, I heard somebody say something. I got it. Oh, I heard somebody preach. And, oh, I learned a fact here. That's fine. That's fine as far as that goes. But that's not the purpose of the Bible. The purpose of the Bible is to affect our living towards God and affect our understanding towards God. And even those parts of the Scripture which do not have a direct, uh, this is what you're supposed to take and do with it, teach us about our God so we can better honor and love Him. And so the battle is for our mind. It always is. Uh, it is uh, God, God wants to get our attention. It is, it is, not, um, it is not accidental that there's so much emphasis on getting people where they cannot 
uh, think long term on things or pay attention long term on things. The big things that you're out witnessing sometimes, you'd be trying to give the gospel to somebody and they can't stay on a single subject. I mean, not for two minutes. Literally. Not just children, but adults. And it's not that they're avoiding talking to you about the Bible. They literally, you can watch their eyes when you're talking to them. They cannot stay on subject for even two minutes. They just wander off. And, and you think of the disadvantage for them understanding and hearing the gospel. And then trying to learn the disciplined life to follow Christ. There's so much work that has to be done in that situation. And so this morning, uh, when we are going to be helped by the truth, I put down four quick things that you need to do to be helped by the truth. Number one, you have to believe and be willing to submit to the truth. That's called acknowledging truth. You have to be, believe and be willing to submit to truth. Number two, you've got to learn truth. You've, you've got to be teachable where you can learn truth. Then, that truth learned needs to be lived. That's what the Bible talks about with obedience. That's doing what you're supposed to do. You know, King Saul was taken out of kingship and he went through uh, just some very, very tough judgment because he did not obey the voice of the Lord. And when he came to the prophet, or the prophet came to him rather, um, Saul acted like he had. He said, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. And he, he was not supposed to have taken anything from the land which he had conquered. And, and this, the prophet looked him in the face and said, then, What meaneth the bleating of the sheep? He said, How come I hear sheep? How come I hear animals? How come I hear this? If you did what you were supposed to do, then why do I hear this? And uh, then he started making excuses why he had done it. And, uh, and then he tried to make it religious and said, Well, we only kept the best because we're going to sacrifice those to God. And the prophet said, God told you to destroy them, not keep them. And he tried to cover it. Saul tried to cover it by saying, well, we're going to sacrifice these to God. We're going to give these to God. Now, God doesn't want you to make up your own way to sacrifice to Him. He wants you to obey what has been said by Him. And He wants me to obey what's been said by Him. And so this is saying learning to live the truth and then pass on the truth to others. Tell others who want to know about it with that, okay? Let me give you some things about it, and we're not going to turn to all these, but let me give you some things about your mind, about my mind, about how we ought to take care of it, about God, what God wants out of it, about the fact that God has a claim to every part of us. When Jesus saved us, when He gave Himself for us and endured what He endured, He did it to pay for our entire being, not just part of us. It was uh, it's kind of kind of funny, uh, you know. We're going through this steps as far as conveying some property and getting a legal description, and all that, and uh, it, it's not not a big hassle at all. Just something needs done, and you say, why is that? So that when our neighbor back here, when he finishes that purchase and he gives the money he's agreed to, which he's it's a cash deal, when he gives the money that he's agreed to, that he has. Authentic certification that what he just put down that money for actually belongs to him. I don't think I would keep a good neighborly relationship if somehow I flim-flammed it or tried to with the paperwork and said, now, when you get done, now I want to let you know we're good neighbors and I want you to take my word for it. You can, that whole two acres, you can do whatever you want with it, but we retain title to a half acre of that two acres. I'm thinking that would not go over well. Because... The price he offered was the price agreed on by this church that we would accept for the entire two acres. 
I think if we said, well, we're going to put a fence in, which we have no reason to do, but we're going to put a fence in, and we ran that fence 10 feet up on past the property line, once that's established, if we ran that fence 10 feet up there, he would have every right to either tear that fence out or come down and have us tear it out. Why? Because he paid for every foot of that. When we built our house and we were doing things, we had a neighbor who did that with the fence line, was coming almost four foot into our land with it. And I went back, and I hope in a kindly way, although his response wasn't kindly, um, I said, I think there may be a mistake. Let's check this line together. I believe you've come over on our property. He had moved his fence four feet over into our property. Well, I didn't pay the money for all of my property except a four foot by 218 foot long section. I paid for all, I want all of it. So you're kind of you're touchy about that. Uh-huh, I am. I go to buy a car, I don't want three wheels, I want four. I, I want the whole thing. If I, if I order, if I order a, a big salad, I don't want to show up with just some craisins and croutons and stuff like that. And I'm like, where's the lettuce? And they're like, well, that didn't come with it. No, I want the whole thing. He said, well, preacher, that's kind of funny, but that makes sense. Well, God paid for you. He paid for me. That's why it's such a big deal for sitting in the Lord's house and you're off distracted checking other things out. You're, you're doing things and you're not paying attention to what's going on because God paid for all of you. And he's, what He's paid for, He needs to get. And so God designs that. Let me give you some things to help you. And this will be a special help to those who have a desire to follow the Lord in these things. First of all, our mind must be willing and prepared to serve the Lord. It's interesting. In 1 Chronicles 28.9, this is one of those ones you can write down. I'm not turning this to all these. In 1 Chronicles 28.9, David admonishing his son Solomon what he's going to need to do when he becomes king, he admonished him to serve God with a willing mind. David told Solomon, he says, you be willing to serve God. Don't be forced to. I like something Brother Tim used to do. And he did it. We talked on the phone a few days ago. And he, I, he said something along the same line. It's a habit with him. And I liked it because he tried to pass it on to other people. He would always, he would always try to say, I get to instead of I have to when it comes to serving the Lord. I get to instead of I have to. And I love that. That's a great way of going about it. It's a great way of saying to your young people, uh, say, hey, we get to go to church today. Come on, let's get ready. We get to go to church. There's a difference in that and we have to go to church. Um, it, it, it's better. And so, uh, I like that. It's a willing mind. The Berean people, there are people in a town called Berea. The Bible says this about them. It says the, the, the believers, they, the, the people in Berea, it says they were more noble, which is a great word. They were more noble than they of Thessalonica. So these people who lived in this town called Berea were more noble. They were doing things better than those who lived in this town called Thessalonica. For the Bereans were more noble than they of Thessalonica, for they searched the Scripture daily to see if these things were so. So what they had, they had a willing mind. They came and listened to the preaching that Paul was doing, and they were noble because they didn't just say, oh, Paul's saying it, therefore. They, they said, we're going to listen. You understand, they didn't have the written word all in front of them at that point. And they said, we're going to see if that matches what we know about the word that's been given to this point. And they checked it, and they didn't come with a critical spirit. It wasn't something back, prove it. Prove it. Prove it. <laughs> Watch your guy. 
It's not the same fellow who had the 128, literal, literal 128 item list and was checking them off to see how I did with it and told me one day I was doing pretty good because I had 90 some of them right so far. That was a jewel right there. And uh, I had another fellow once, he got out of church here, and this is before most of you were, were here in the early days, and I was talking, I said, what? Let's keep me out of church. He goes, oh, the real problem is I just know more than any pastor I've ever said in. And uh, I'm like, well, there you go. And uh, I'm glad that I did not have to be in the uh, shadow of his great luminescence. Um, but the, but this wasn't, I, I, would, I would watch this stuff be going, and he didn't have a checklist, but he, I, there was a certain look, and he, he checks out, and, and within two days of being, I want to talk to you about something. That's fine, I don't mind a question with that. Don't, don't mind with that. But it was, it, the question was always to disprove. Let me tell you why you missed it. I have a problem with that. Okay, he said, couldn't you miss it? Oh, yeah. But it's not the spirit. The spirit is, hey, can you show me that? I don't quite see that. There's a big difference in that. That's the way the Bereans were. They were like, let's see if this is right. Let's see if this matches. It'll show up if it doesn't. But your spirit doesn't get antagonistic then. Your spirit doesn't become a destructive spirit within you and mine won't within me if we check to see if these things are so. If it's not, you'll know it. You'll find that. But it keeps your spirit sweet. It keeps your heart open so you can learn things. See, this is the way our minds, it's so important. Look, uh, let, let me tell you something. I'm not, I'm not, I, wish you'd, I wish I could properly convey the, the importance of this to you. At one time or another, and this is not, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm happy about it. I'm trying to instruct you. If, if, if I'm old enough to speak now as an elder among you, I'm not a 30, 40-year-old preacher anymore, at one time or another, I guarantee you, I will annoy you. It's not my goal. That's all that young cocky guys do that stuff. I have no desire to prove I'm tough and annoy people when they come to church. I want you to learn the word of God or help. But I promise you, I will say something in the way I say it is not what you would like. And I'm not even now necessarily talking about it being a, you get a conviction about something, just my presentation. I will, in the midst of preaching, I'll make a statement that's more, you know, a little guidance or opinion with it, because you're going to get some of that. Man asked me one time, I think it's a serious question, he says, is it possible to get in preaching where you, you don't have your personality come into it at all? I said, not while well, God's using human, human instrumentality, it's going to show up. So at some point, I'm going to hit something that you don't like. I'm going to use a phrase that you don't approve of. I'm going to, I'm going to not be as to the right on something as you want me to be. I'm not going to be to the left on it. But here's the thing I want you to get with that. Don't ever let that, whether it be me or somebody else who's preaching the Word, don't ever let that take your mind from staying where you're checking the Word of God against everything and you learn from the Word of God, and you look at error, if error has been said, and you set it aside. Now, someone proves themselves to be a heretic, they're going off, they keep espousing error. They didn't make one wrong statement. They didn't, please, how many of you have ever done much public speaking? Are you taught, or you done that stuff? My teachers are in here, see your hand if you've done much in it, okay? It is massively easy to say the wrong thing. Have mercy. Don't go along with someone that's going down the wrong trail. 
And you'll see it. It'll keep showing up. But here's the thing about it. I have things that I don't like them said a certain way. I have subjects. It's just mm, bothering. Sometimes I'll go to a preacher meeting. I'll hear a preacher preach and he'll say something and I'll think, well, I think you just missed something, bud. And I'll check it out and see. But here's the point. Don't let your mind be disaffected towards the truth of God, the Word of God, or the house of God. God uses imperfect people to minister to imperfect people. God uses frail people to minister to frail people. In fact, it's part of His plan so that we who minister to people, not just a preacher here, but all of us who are supposed to be helping others, trying to do good for others through the gospel, God has made it so that we can feel the infirmity, we can feel what somebody else, uh, what somebody else is suffering. And so, a ready mind. Uh, it's interesting in Second Corinthians eight twelve, great passage there about the, the the churches helping out, getting the gospel into other regions. It says, if there first be a willing mind. If there be first a willing mind, it's accepted according to what a man hath and not what he hath not. In other words, God said, if you're willing, I'm going to take what you have and capitalize on that and, and use it. And uh, I'm glad he does. Right? You know, you don't have so much you can bring. Hey, could there be any uh, more of a stark illustration? Think about this. Think about uh, the two different events in the Bible, the feeding of the 4,000, the feeding of the 5,000. Both times, God just took a little bit. And the one time when uh, Jesus said, what do we have? And you know, the answer came back, well, we've got what, five loaves and two fishes. And he said, okay, give those to me and I'll do something with it. And here, here's the statement that was made when Jesus was asking Philip about that. Here's the statement he made. He said, but what are they among so many? Do you imagine looking at a huge crowd like that and saying, It's not going to be enough. When we went to Haiti, they taught, told us immediately, as soon as I got there, one of the first things I was warned about was do not hand something to somebody in the street, money, food, anything like that. So why not? The riot you can cause with that is extraordinary. We were passing out gospel tracts and folks were... I mean, to get them. We were out in front of Brother Biz's house, and of course, there's a wall and razor wire up on top of it, and our dog's inside of there. So, why? Because it's Haiti. And all of a sudden, I heard this commotion and turned around, and my wife not trying to cause any harm. And I think uh, Brother Dermay got in on that. We were all there. They, they started, they had all these school kids going by. So they started to hand them gospel tracts. Well, that's one thing. But this man that had some candy there, little things of candy, little things. And she's not thinking. She's just, you know, she's, oh, kids, we'll get their attention. You don't have to get their attention. When you're handing them gospel tracts, they'll come to you for that. They saw she had candy. They stormed that wall, stormed up against it so bad it got dangerous. One of Brother Biz's young preachers that he was training to preach and he would get a bicycle so they could go to the different places. It all got done. I still remember the fellow standing there and he 
he's talking in Creole. Basically, he said, Brother Vismail, they broke my bike. These little school kids, when they saw there was some little treat, because they're, they're starving people, they so swamped them standing there that they literally crushed this bike. I mean, it was like ball. I looked at that with what they did to the frame stuff, and I'm like, oh my goodness. Didn't know a herd of kids could do that. Say, well, okay, what about that? Well, you know, when we're giving things out, when we're willing to give something or do something, God says, I'll use it, whatever it is. To be first a willing mind. We ought to be willing to do whatever it is God wants. We ought to have an eagerness towards that like people would have uh, for something of that nature. Let me give you this also. Our, our mind can become wicked. Our mind, my mind, your mind, can become wicked. Reality of that's vital for you. When it becomes wicked, you will justify what is wrong and you will become repelled by or put off or disliking or even against that which is good. Look in Proverbs 17. This is one I want to show you. Proverbs 17. Here's where a mind can travel. Here's where it's, it can get to. In verse 15 of Proverbs 17, it says, He that justifieth the wicked, and he that condemneth the just, even they both are abomination to the Lord. So when somebody takes what's wicked and says it's good, and when somebody takes what's good and says it's wicked, it's an abomination to God. Right now, maybe some of you all voted and you need to vote. Right now, you have a group. They're slick advertising things trying to push through murdering children. It's called voting yes on issue one. It's a vote to murder children. Very simply. It's butchery. Same type of butchery that the Nazis did. And anybody who's got a bit of Bible in them ought to vote no on the thing and say, no, we're not going to say it's okay to kill children. And bring it in here with me. And got an advertisement came in. This woman, I was going to just hold her up so you could see what a murderer looked like. Gives her last name, says she's a doctor, a pediatrician. And she's for issue up. The way they do this lying advertisement says, let me do my job without government interference. Her job is killing children, apparently. You look in the face of one of those, comes in your mailbox, you're looking at a murder. Your mind can get so wicked that you call good evil and evil good. In fact, there's strong judgment along that line in the book of Isaiah all the way down through. But there come a time when they'll call good evil and evil good. And by the way, what just precedes that? It shows up in Jeremiah. shows up in Lamentation. And what just precedes getting to the point of actually calling good evil and evil good is they can no longer blush. They can no longer be embarrassed about anything. They're so hardened and so desensitized to sin that they say it's okay. 
and you'll endorse every kind of perversion. You think it's okay for people to say they can't even tell the difference between what a man and a woman is. And every kind of perversion will be tolerated and will be asked for tolerance. And then places that dare to call themselves churches will endorse that garbage. And yet, at the same time, what they'll be repelled by is simple speaking of the truth. That's called a wicked mind. You say, oh man, I can't believe there are people like that. Here's my, here's my news to us today, friends. Our minds can get that way. This is what I'm trying to get us to understand. Our minds can get that way. We're not some superior being made out of superior material than all these. Our minds can go to extremes of wickedness without the Lord's uh, guidance and direction in our lives. And for those of you who know the Bible, especially those of you who've been brought up around the Bible, when you choose to step away from it, you're different than just the heathen that's out there that never knew it. They just don't know it. They may be fleshly, wicked, worldly. But they just don't know it. But when you walk away from it, you're committing an act of rebellion, which is why there's such an evil spirit comes on, on adults and kids that have been in a good, solid Bible-believing church and turn their back on it. That's where that, that comes from. That hardening comes from is because it's an act of rebellion. They know better. And they choose to go away from that. The only thing that keeps us from doing that is by understanding and, and, and understanding the truth of it. The only thing that gives grace and hope for them to come back from it is the clear declaration of it so they can repent and get right about it. But I'm telling you, the battles for our mind. Christians in our time are laughing at things they're watching on their phone that they would have blushed to see 20 years ago. Putting your kids out there on display for stuff, doing it, it, it's it's wickedness of mind. The battle is for the for the mind. Our mind can literally be damaged by pride. Let me just quickly say this to you: pride actually affects the way in which the mind works. It actually has a physical effect on the mind. Um, Daniel five twenty. Mark that one down. Nebuchadnezzar. It said that his mind being lifted up in pride was hardened. And uh, why? It, it didn't work right anymore. Because so prideful. You ever get somebody that just gets so prideful they won't listen anymore? They won't listen to anything. They won't be instructed. They got the stiff neck. Why? There, there's a function of the mind that they have affected by pride. God doesn't want us to go into that area and that. It's interesting. In Mark chapter 5, verse 15, this is awesome. It gives the characteristics of someone who has been delivered and cleansed by Jesus. Now you talk about a fellow whose mind was messed up. Mark 5, some of you know him as the maniac of Gadara. Have you heard him referred to that way? That term's not actually used, but it's, it's a common term. You know about him as the wild man that lived in among the tombs, among the, the, the places where they buried people. I mean, you know that account. You know about that man, all right? He was a wild man and a half. We saw a fellow one night. In fact, it's kind of funny. Um, we were having a uh, get-together down in Geneva Hills years ago. And uh, we had waited for my mother and father-in-law came over for it. And they were riding with us. And we were cutting through town to go down that way. 
And I still remember this fellow. There was a group of three or four people. I've never seen the fellow before. I don't think I've ever seen him since. It was a rather chill night out and that. A little messy, as I remember. He was stripped to the waist. And I still remember because as our car came by, he turned around. He wasn't a very big fellow, but rather muscular. He turned around, and the look on his face was as savage and wild as any animal you've ever seen. And he made this almost roaring, growling noise. I thought he was going to step out in front of the car. I actually swerved. He, he stepped towards the car, and he made this noise, and he's just bristling up all over. He's like, Rawr! and I looked in that face, and I thought, oh, my soul. We went by, and my wife saw it, and she goes, what was that? I said, werewolf, near as I can tell. I don't know. I don't know. You said, did you stop and give him a track? I did not. <laughs> Forgive me. I thought the man was going to take my car fender off. Savage brutality. Encountered others. I've been in strange situations and seen the twistedness, even the devil possession that can be in people. I've told you over the years a few of those accounts and direct direct situations. But this man, boy, he was, he was messed up. They kept trying to bind him up. They'd put chains on him and he'd, he'd break the chains. He was completely out of control emotionally all day, all night, crying and screaming, cutting himself, bleeding all over. He was so vicious and he, he, he was gravitated to the, the graveyards. Like, it has been for years. I don't know if it was this year. On the devil's holiday on Halloween, you go to certain graveyards in town, and you can see groups of people out there dressed in black going in among the tombs and stuff. They gravitated towards what was evil. And he was there, and it was so bad, he would actually attack people. Nobody could tame him. Nobody could do anything with him. He was actually possessed of many devils. But Jesus came. You say... Well, a person like that's hopeless. They're beyond human help. But Jesus came. But Jesus came. And then, you know what scared the population so bad after this guy? The devils were driven out of him and all that happened with that. You know what condition they found him in after, after he'd actually been helped by Jesus? He was sitting. that amazing? He was at peace. He was sitting. Bible had said before he had no rest there, right? Now he's sitting. He was clothed. As soon as Jesus took care of him, he became concerned that he was appropriate. And, I love this, he was in his right mind. I wonder how long that had been. And uh, he wanted to get back in the boat with Jesus. That makes sense. But for him, Jesus said, no, he said, go tell your family and friends what, what things the Lord's done for you. And he did. And he went to an area called Decapolis. That's not one town. Daca means 10. It's a 10-town metropolis area. Covers a region. And later on, when Jesus came back to that same region, the people were waiting to hear him. I think the guy did a lot of good is what I think happened. And he went back. He had, you know, he wasn't always like that. He had friends. I guarantee you he didn't get friends by acting like he had been. He had family. He didn't even have broken-hearted parents who wondered how in the world could their child have gotten in that condition, who knew.
who knew what the very long nights were like. And uh, now he's come back. He's back. Look. Just as strongly as I warn you that any one of us can get out there where it's wicked, so strongly I tell you that Christ can retrieve anyone who's out there. And he can bring them back from the furthest. One of the, one of the most precious songs in all of hymnody, all the, all the songs of the churches, and one that's probably best well known over all different denominations and in all lands is Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. John Newton, who was the author of that song, had been a slave trader. He was so debauched. He was so wicked in his mind. He was so degraded in his life that would have thought him almost an animal. But God got a hold of him. He pastored for a number of years in addition to writing that song. Towards the end of his life, his mind started going. His memory started failing. And they asked him about it. And he says, one thing I remember, he got down to then, he says, what a great sinner I was and what a great Savior he is. Well, i tell you what. That's what I'm talking about. God doing. God can help you. He said, I'm carrying scars. You'll carry those to the grave, but not beyond. You won't have to because our Savior carries scars that He suffered for us. What a great Savior we have. We're to love God with our mind, all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. It's our great duty and our privilege. We know about that. We're supposed to have the proper mindset as the mindset of humility. The Bible talks about that. Let me give you some references. You want to look at that one later. Acts chapter 20 and verse 19 talks about serving God with all humility of mind. Acts 20 verse 19. And if you need to get any of these after the service because of the rapidity I'm giving them, I'll gladly give them to you. Philippians 2 verse 3 and the verses following. That's a great one. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God and made himself of no reputation. What did he do? He took upon himself the form of a servant became obedient even obedient unto death. And Colossians 3.12 talks about serving God with all humbleness of mind. Colossians 3 verse 12. I warn you one, one more time church. The mind can become so filthy and so damaged that it will no longer receive truth. Romans chapter 1, verse 28 talks about those who had started out with being unthankful and finally went through all the different lists of sin you could get into. Finally, what he did, they, the mind became so reprobate that it would no longer accept truth. And the Bible says God gave him over to a reprobate mind. What did he do? He was letting it make its full work on them. It was making its full work in their life. It was making its full work in them. If ever they had a chance to come to repentance, that, that judgment and that, that process couldn't be stopped. Then look with me, if you will, in 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm talking about where we can get. I'm talking about what God would do. And I'm showing you here Scripture. You let the Scripture work in you and on you. And you respond to Scripture. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Here's something you ought to lay claim to. 
We had an unusual event happen. After the harvest party, I won't give a name out here, a fellow I'd never met before, a pretty good-sized fellow, young man. I suddenly heard a voice. Almost everybody was gone. Just I think one family left here with us. I heard a voice. And somebody talking to my wife. And this fellow had walked in, apparently from town, and came in, and just came in. And um, I always talked to him for a minute. He goes, oh, I'll come back some other time. I, I heard a voice. I went out, caught him out here in the parking lot, got talking to him. And uh, not, he you was know, being out of the way at all. He said, I saw life, so what was going on at the church. I said, well, what's going on? So we talked a little bit. And uh, he said, I, I need somebody to pray with me. I talked to him about the Lord. And then I said, what do we need to pray about? He goes, my mind. He goes, there's some things. He says, my mind. And I quoted him the verse I'm getting ready to read with you. And I watched him physically respond to it. Physically respond to this truth as we talk there. Look at it in verse 7. This is what came to my mind and what I gave to him. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I did end up talking to him what it meant a sound mind, a whole mind, a complete mind. And I was going to talk to him about that, but he jumped right in and he said, Fear, what's done to you? Because that's the fear. Because fear is what started this. And we're talking about that. God gives you not the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. One that works right. You say, everything seems so confused. That's because you, you, the only place of clarity is in the simple pathway of truth. Stay in the way of truth. Then look with me, if you will. Another I show you there. In uh, verse, uh, look, look in uh, Romans chapter 12. Another one here, but I'm just going to show you these. You know, it's interesting. In Hebrews, God said that He would write His law in our mind and in our hearts so He can guide us. Romans chapter 12. This will not be unfamiliar to most of you in the room, but look at it in this and think about what God's wanting to do with our mind. Verse 1, and I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your what, church? By the renewing of your mind. Being renewed. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I can in my living prove the will of God. Does that mean at 59 years of age, with thoughts, memories, images, and things I put in as a very, very young man that I wish I could erase at times? Does that mean at 59 years of age, with having gone and interacted within a world that is very polluted, does that mean at 59 years of age, with hurts and disappointments and 
sometimes way too heavy of a cargo of knowledge carrying for so many years, does that mean that I can be transformed? Does that mean my mind can be renewed? Does that mean there can be a freshness? Does that mean there can be a brightness? Does that mean that I can walk today with my God and today can be a good day with my God and I can have victory in the Lord? Yes, that's exactly what it means. That my mind can be renewed. That your mind can be renewed. Day by day. Though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And I don't have to live in defeat. I don't have to accept anything less than the victory that God wants for me to walk in humility before my God. I may feel every scar, but I'm going to tell you something. I can be renewed. <laughs> I had an uncle. His actually his his uh, everybody called him Red. He was a neat guy. Biden's his last name. He had a simple statement he made. He said, "All I want to do is live until I die," and he did. It was the neatest thing. And by that, he was one of the kindest people you ever wanted to meet. He was interested in folks. He stayed active. He had almost died at a young age because of uh, something that happened in his blood chemistry and that. And then he, uh, I mean, he just, every day, he was just, he lived until he died. He was out one day. He, he had moved, he was down in Florida and he had a little boat he was going to take out. And he was pulling the cover off of it. And some boys in the neighborhood were riding by on their bicycle and said, how you doing, Mr. Bimes? Because he liked everybody. And he goes, doing great. It's a great day. He dropped dead with a heart attack. He was quite up in years when that happened. And in the family, we said, Red lived until he died. <laughs> Let's live until we die. Let's let the God renew our mind day by day. <laughs> Ephesians 4.23 is that God will renew us in the spirit of our mind. Let me pray with you. Father, i done my best to deliver Your Word. I pray You'll bless. Help us, Lord, to take seriously this thing of our mind. And be careful to protect it from pollutants. And give it to You, please. Amen. Let's stand together.